Chapter Four of The Crown of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Riley. The Crown of Life by George Gissing. Chapter Four. When Piers Otway got back to Ewell about four o'clock, he felt the beginning of a headache. The day of excitement might have accounted for it, but in the last few weeks it had been too common an experience with him, a warning, naturally, against his mode of life, and of course, unheeded. On reaching the house, he saw and heard no one. The door stood open, and he went straight up to his room. He had only one, which served him for study and bedchamber. In front of the window stood a large table, covered with his books and papers, and there, on the blotting-pad, lay a letter which had arrived for him since his departure this morning. It came, he saw, from his father. He took it up eagerly, and was tearing the envelope when his eye fell on something that stayed his hand. The wide-open window offered a view over the garden at the back of the house, and on the lawn he saw a little group of ladies. Seated in basket chairs, Mrs. Hannaford and her daughter were conversing with a third person whom Piers did not know, a tall, fair-faced girl who stood before them and seemed at this moment to be narrating some lively story. Even had her features been hidden, the attitude of this stranger, her admirable form and rapid, graceful gestures, must have held the young man's attention. Seeing her with the light full on her countenance, he gazed and gazed, in sudden, complete forgetfulness of his half-open letter. Just so had he stood before the print shop in London this morning, with the same wide eyes, the same hurried breathing, wrapped, self-oblivious. He remembered the Hannaford's relative, Miss Derwent, was expected today, and Miss Derwent, doubtless, he beheld. The next moment it occurred to him that his observation, within earshot of the group, was a sort of eavesdropping. He closed his window and turned away. The sound must have drawn attention, for very soon there came a knock at the door, and the servant inquired of him whether he would have tea, as usual, in his room, or join the ladies below. "'Bring it here, please,' he replied. "'And yes, tell Mrs. Hannaford that I shall not come down to dinner. You can bring me anything you like, just a mouthful of something.' Now there went, obscurely, no less than three reasons to the quick shaping of this decision— in the first place, Piers had glanced over his father's letter, and saw in it matter for long reflection. Secondly, his headache was declared, and he would be better alone for the evening. Thirdly, he shrank from meeting Miss Derwent, and this last was the predominant motive. Letter and headache notwithstanding, he would have joined the ladies at dinner but for the presence of their guest an inexplicable irritation all at once possessed him, a grotesque resentment of Miss Derwent's arrival. 
why should she have come just when he wanted to work harder than ever that was how things happened the perversity of circumstance she would be at every meal for at least a week he must needs talk with her look at her think about her his annoyance became so acute that he tramped nervously about the floor muttering maledictions it passed a cup of tea brought him to his right mind and he no longer saw the event in such exaggerated colors but he was glad of his decision to spend the evening alone his father's letter had come at the right moment in some degree it allayed the worry caused by his brother daniel's talk this morning jerome otway wrote as usual briefly on the large letter-paper he always used his bold hand full of a certain character demanded space he began by congratulating piers on the completion of his one-and-twentieth year i am late but had not forgotten the day it cost me an effort to put pen to paper as you know proceeding he informed his son that a sum of money a few hundred pounds had become payable to him on the attainment of his majority it was your mother's and she wished you to have it a man of law will communicate with you about the matter speak of it to me or not as you prefer it if you wish it i will advise if you wish it not i will keep silence there followed a few words about the beauty of spring in the moorland then your ordeal approaches an absurdity i fear but the wisdom of our day will have it thus i wish you success if you fall short of your hopes come to me and we will talk once more befall what may i am to the end your father who wishes you well the signature was very large and might have drawn censure of affection from the unsympathetic as indeed might the whole epistle very significant of the mind and temper of jerome otway to piers the stall was too familiar to suggest reflections besides he had a loyal mind towards his father and never criticized the old man's dealing with him the confirmation of daniel's report about the legacy concerned him little in itself he had no immediate need of money and so small a sum could not affect the course of his life but this being true it seemed probable that daniel's other piece of information was equally well founded if so what matter already he had asked himself why the story about his mother should have caused him a shock his father in all likelihood would now never speak of that and indeed why should he the story no longer affected either of them and to worry oneself about it was mere philistinism a favorite term with peers at that day in replying which he did this same night he decided to make no mention of daniel the name would give his father no pleasure when he rang to have his tea things taken away mrs hannaford presented herself she was anxious about him why would he not dine she wished him to make the acquaintance of miss derwent whose talk was sure to interest him piers pleaded his headache causing the lady more solicitude 
she entreated, as he could not work, it would be much better for him to spend an hour or two in company. Would he not, to please her? Mrs. Hannaford spoke in a soft, caressing voice, and Piers returned her look of kindness. But he was firm. An affection had grown up between these two. Their intercourse, though they seldom talked long together, was much like that of mother and son. "'You are injuring your health,' said Mrs. Hannaford gravely, "'and it is unkind to those who care for you.' "'Wait a few weeks,' he replied cheerily, "'and I'll make up the health account.' "'You refuse to come down to please me this once? "'I must be alone. Indeed, I must.' Piers replied, with unusual abruptness, and Mrs. Hannaford, a little hurt, left the room without speaking. He all but hastened after her to apologize, but the irritable impulse overcame him again, and he had to pace the room till his nerves grew steady. Very soon after it was dark, he gave up the effort to read, and went to bed. A good night's sleep restored him, he rose with the sun, felt the old appetite for work, and when the breakfast bell rang, had redeemed more than three good hours. He was able now to face Miss Derwent, or anyone else. Indeed, that young lady hardly came into his mind before he met her downstairs. At the introduction, he behaved with his natural reserve, which had nothing, as a rule, of awkwardness. Irene was equally formal, though a smile at the corner of her lips half betrayed a mischievous thought. They barely spoke to each other, and at table Irene took no heed of him. But with the others she talked as brightly as usual, managing, none the less, to do full justice to the meal. Miss Derwent's vigour of mind and body was not sustained on air, and she never affected a delicate appetite. There was still something of the healthy schoolgirl in her manner. Otway glanced at her once or twice, but immediately averted his eyes, with a slight frown, as if the light had dazzled him. She was talking of Finland, and mentioned the name of her father's manservant, Thibault. It entered several times into the narrative, and always with an approving epithet, the excellent Thibault, the brave Thibault. "'Oh!' exclaimed Mrs. Hannaford, presently. "'Do tell Mr. Otway the story of Thibault.' "'Yes, do,' urged Olga. Piers raised his eyes to the last speaker, and moved them timidly towards Irene. She smiled, meeting his look with a sort of merry satisfaction. "'Mr. Otway is occupied with serious thoughts,' was her good-humoured remark. "'I should much like to hear the story of Thibault.' said Piers, bending forward a little. "'Would you? You shall. Thibault Rossignol. A delightful name, isn't it? And one of the most delightful of men, though only a servant, and the son of a village shopkeeper. It begins fifteen years ago, just after the Franco-Prussian War. My father was taking a holiday in eastern France, and he came one day to a village where an epidemic of typhoid was raging. Tant mieux! Something to do, some help to be given. If you knew my father! But you will understand. 
he offered his services to the overworked couple of doctors and was welcomed he fought the typhoid day and night if you knew my father well there was a bad case in a family named rossignol a boy of twelve what made it worse was that the two elder brothers had been killed in the war and the parents sat in despair by the bedside of their only remaining child the father was old and very shaky the mother much younger but she had suffered dreadfully from the death of her two boys you should hear my father tell it i make a hash of it when he tells it people cry madame rossignol was the sweetest little woman you know that kind of french woman don't you soft voice tender intelligent using the most delightful phrases a jewel of a woman my father settled himself by the bedside and fought madame rossignol watching him with eyes he did not dare to meet until a certain moment then then the soft voice for once was loud my father shed tears everybody shed tears except thebald himself peers hung on the speaker's lips no music had ever held him so rapt when she ceased he gazed at her no of course that's not all irene proceeded with a mischievous smile again and she spoke much as she might have done to an eagerly listening child six years pass by my father is again in the east of france and he goes to the old village he is received with enthusiasm his name has become a proverb Rossigno Pera, alas, is dead long since. Dear Madame Rossigno lives, but my father sees at a glance that she will not live long. The excitement of meeting him was almost too much for her. Pale, sweet little woman. Thibault was keeping shop with her, but he seemed out of place there. A fine lad of eighteen, very intelligent, wonderfully good-humoured, and his poor mother had no peace, night or day, for the thought of what would become of him after her death. He had no male kinsfolk, and certainly would not stick to a dull little trade. My father thought, and after thinking, spoke. Madam, will you let me take your son to England, and find something for him to do? She screamed with delight. But will Thibault consent? Thibault had his patriotic scruples, but when he saw and heard his poor mother, he consented. Madame Rossignol had a sister nearby, with whom she could live, and so, on the spot, it was settled. Piers hung on the speaker's lips. No tale had ever so engrossed him. Indeed, it was charmingly told, with so much girlish sincerity, so much womanly feeling, no that's not all my father went to his inn for the night early in the morning he was hastily summoned he must come at once to the house of the signals something was wrong he went and there in her bed lay the little woman just as if asleep and a smile on her face but she was dead piers had a lump in his throat he straightened himself and tried to command his features irene smiling looked steadily at him 
From that day, she added, Thibaut has been my father's servant. He wouldn't be anything else. This, he always says, would best have pleased his mother. He will never leave Dr. Derwent. The good Thibault. All were silent for a minute. Then Piers pushed back his chair. Work? said Mrs. Hannaford, with a little note of allusion to last evening. Work, Piers replied grimly, his eyes down. Well now, exclaimed Irene, turning to her cousin, what shall we do this splendid morning? Where can we go? Piers left the room as the words were spoken. He went upstairs with slower step than usual, head bent. On entering his room, it was always made ready for him while he was at breakfast, he walked to the window and stared out at the fleecy clouds in the summer blue, at the trees and the lawn. He was thinking of the story of Thibault. What a fine fellow Dr. Derwent must be. He would like to know him. To work. He meant to give an hour or two to his Russian, with which he had already made fair progress. By the by, he must tell his father that the old man would be pleased. An hour later, he again stood at his window, staring at the clouds and the blue. Russian was against the grain, somehow, this morning. He wondered whether Miss Derwent had learnt any during her winter at Helsingfors. What a long day was before him! He kept looking at his watch, and instead of getting on with his work, he thought and thought again of the story of Thibault. End of chapter 4